we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your, your kindness and your love. We ask you to guide us through this section and show us what you would like us to see through this section of names. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So far, we've covered the family of David, the family of Abraham, uh, in, in this long set of genealogies. And we're going to be going through all the 12 tribes of Israel before we're done. But there are some interesting things out of here, and I'm going to try to just lift a few of the kind of interesting things that we see from all of this. So starting in chapter 4, verse 1. The sons of Judah, Perez, Hezron, and Garmi, and Hur, and Shobal, and Rahaiah, the son of Shobal, begat Jahath, and Jahath begat Ahumai, and Lahad, and these are the families of the Zoh, Zoroites. And these were the fathers and and these were the father of Etam, Jezreel, and Ishma, and Idbash, and the name of their sister was Hazib Lehponai. Penua, the father of Gidor, and Ezor, the father of Husha. Where these were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephratah, the father of Bethlehem. And Asher, the father of Tekoa, had two wives, Hila and Nahara. And Nahara begat Ahuzam and Hefer and Temeni and Hashtari. And these were the sons of Nahara. And the sons of Hila were Zephrath and Zorah and Ethna. And Cuz begat Abnib and Zobebah, and the families of Ha'era, the sons of Harum. There's nothing special about any of these names that I can think of. <laughs> None of these names really ring a bell. Uh, these are all part of the Zoharites, which are in family that's going to be mentioned again, that were mentioned in, in Chronicles 2. But nothing really special about them has been listed. I mean, if we spent lots of time looking up every single name, we'd find every place that they were mentioned. And that would be a great study on one side. It would be a long study. All right. I've picked out certain names and gone back through and checked out, you know, their history of those names. But I didn't do it to every single name on this list. Uh, maybe someday I will, but not, not this time. All right. Chapter uh, verse 9. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jezbez, saying, Because I bear him in sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou would bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, and that it might not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, if you've been around churches for long, you know that there's a book called The Prayer of Jabez, which are these, based on these verses. It's about 50 pages long or so, 50 pages based on these two, two verses. And it says that Jabez was an honorable man, and he sought God, which is unusual for most of these guys in the list. And his prayer was a simple one. You know, God, bless me and enlarge my coast. Make me larger. Give me, give me blessings. That, my hand might, that your hand might be with me and that you will keep me from evil that evil might not hurt me. And God granted his prayer. This is quite a prayer in one sense. You know, uh, the book was very famous with the name and acclaim at churches, and they wrote a whole bunch of 
you know, he was blessed because of asking God. And it is true that if we ask God, he might just give us the blessings that we ask for. But if we're asking just to be blessed, we're probably not going to get it. Because God promises to answer anything that is prayed in Jesus' name, his authority, his, his line. And that doesn't mean that we just tack on there on our prayers in Jesus' name, thank you. All right? God, I want a Maserati car in Jesus' name. Now, I really don't want one of those anyway, but you know, that is not praying in Jesus' name because that is not in his authority. It is not in his desire or his will, probably. You know, but now if we were going out and saying, God, we have this great big vision for this church. We think that it's your vision for the church, and we want to do you know, this thing that you know, needs five houses and three cars and, and whatever else, but it's all for his glory. And we started praying for that. Chances are that God will bless that name because it is in his name. As long as our goal is to lift him up, who knows what God can do or will do. And we've seen this over and over in the ministries that you listen to or, or, or hear where they go, we stepped out. We stepped out when we had nothing. We stepped out and, and challenged God's word that he would not, would not fail to survive, uh, supply. And we stepped out and God met that need so that we were able to minister to others. So this is very important. God will answer prayers that will lift him up and step out in faith and work it out. Now, I'm not going to say he will never bless us with things just to bless us. But if we're going to consume it upon ourselves and not to his glory, then God probably is just going to step back and say, nope, you're not getting it. Because his, everything he gives us, we are stewards for. It's his money that he allows us to use. And we need to honor him with that money first and give to him and then use the remainder of the money for ourselves. And this is a hard thing that people get into. They're going, well, you know, I just have to have more and more and more stuff for me. And God is saying, no, I don't want it for you. It is my money. You know, and the problem we have so often is we get to thinking it's our money that we're generously giving to God. God, I'm generously giving you your tithe or your, your tithe plus offering. You know, and that's how we start to think. You know, God, you're so lucky that I'm giving you back you know, 10% of, you know, of my money. And God is saying just that. It's my money. I'm letting you keep 90% of it. You know, uh, and I'm just having you give me back part of my money. And he often asks for a tithe, an offering above the tithe. And this is very important. And Jabez's prayer was, God, bless me. Enlarge my tents or make, make me large. Um, and it doesn't tell it. We don't know anything about what he did with this enlargement. But it does say that God blessed him, which means that he had to stay focused on God. And some of the richest people in the world, even today and in the past, have been followers of God that have honored him by giving to him. And this is something we need to be aware of. If you really want to be rich, then you need to plan on giving God a bunch of money so that he'll know that you're going to treat his money correctly. And some of the richest men in, the, in our country have been people like J.C. Penney, uh, Cash and uh, Sears and Roebuck, then they gave God 90% of their money and kept 10% and still ended up millionaires because God blessed them and said, okay, you're, you're being, you're being uh, fruitful, you're being honorable, you can have lots. Most of us don't get a lot because God knows that we're not going to 
honor him. And statistics tell us that. The, the, the more money and wealth people have, the less they give to God. All right? The poor people easily give God a, a, a tithe, and the richer they get, the more unlikely they are to give God the tithe. And in one sense, you understand it. You know, when your whole check is $400, $500 for the, for the week, there's not a whole lot that you can do with $40. But when your check for a week is uh, $2,000 or $3,000, you start looking at that and going, you know what, God, uh, that $200 can pay a bill. You know, God, you really don't need this money after all, do you? And it begins to play on our mind. But if we set our goal that, God, you get the first 10%, God, you get the 10% plus whatever offering you're going to get. Then God knows that you're going to be fruitful. And we don't know what Jabez did with it. We don't hear about him anywhere else other than here. But it said God, God answered that prayer. And so that meant that he had to have been planning to do something for God. And that's why it said he was more honorable. He was more righteous than all the others that in, in his day. All right, enough about Jabez. If you want to read a, read a book, you can read The Prayer of Jabez. Um, it's not a bad book. It's not a great book. <laughs> it's just a book. Somebody else wrote it. It's a, it's a new book. Jabez has been dead a long, long time. <laughs> it's just somebody who pulled, out, pulled these verses out of the Bible and wrote an entire, entire book about it. I read it long, long ago, and you can see that I was real impressed about it that I can remember many words of it. So uh, it came out, I think, in the 80s or 90s, and it was real popular during that period of time. Everybody had it on their shelf. It was only, you know, a 10 or $15 book because it was only about 50 pages long. And, you know, everybody had it, so they would learn to pray, pray the prayer of Jabez. <laughs> so, uh, and so basically was a name and acclaim it type book, you know, which is not the not that great, but God does answer these prayers if we have the right motivation behind your heart. All right, verse 11. And Selub, the brother of Shuha, begat Meher, which was the father of Eshton. And Eshton begat Bethrapha, and Pasherah, and Tehina, the father of Ernahash. These are the men of Rechab. And the sons of Kenez, Othanel, Sahariah, the sons of Othaniah, and Hathoth, and Meonathai begat Ophrah, and Sarai begat Joab, the father of the valley of Kirishim, for these were craftsmen. And the sons of Caleb, the sons of Jephunne, Iru, Elah, and Neram, and the sons of Elam, and Kenzah. These are the sons of Jehalel, Ziph, and Ziphah, and Tirah, and Ashiel. These are the sons of Ezra, were Jether, Jered, Epher, Jalon, and Sheber, Miriam, and Shammai, and Ishba, the father of Estemoa. One thing I do want to bring out is it says up there in verse 14, these were the sons, uh, these were the father of the valley of the Kirshanites, and these were craftsmen. It's kind of an interesting thing that the word in Hebrew actually is they were silent. Silent. Which most people say me also is interpreted as deaf and dumb. 
So maybe there was a genetic in incidence on here that we don't know because nowhere else is, it trans is that word translated craftsman except this verse. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting dilemma. We don't really know what it is that they're talking about. I'm just throwing that out there because it was a curiosity when I read, read through it. Uh, it says craftsman in the King James, but it says silent in the, in the, in the concordance. Verse uh, 15, uh, 14. It says, for they were craftsmen. Yeah, the King James says craftsmen. I don't, I don't know what any other version said. I just looked it, up in the, looked it up in the Hebrew and it said silent, which kind of blew me away. And then I looked deeper and it said meant deaf and dumb. So I don't know what goes on. I don't know why the King James chose to, to use craftsmen in this, in this case rather than silent and dumb, other than the fact that they might have not understood it. It could have been a genetic thing that kept them, maybe it was an entire family that was mostly deaf uh, and therefore silent. We, I don't know. But I just thought it was an interesting thing to throw out in, the, in, the, in this reading here. All right, where did I leave off? 19? 15? 19. 19. And the sons of his wife Hodiah, the, the sister of Naham, the father of Kila, the Garmite, and Estoma, the Maarkite, and the sons of Shimon were Ammon, and Rinna, and Benhanan, and Tilon, and the sons of Ishi were Zoheth, and Benzoheth. And the sons of Selah were the son, were the sons of Judah were Ur, the father of Lakab, and Laada, the father of Marasha, and the families of the house of them that were wrought of them wrought fine linen for the house of Ashbeel. So this particular line was linen makers and fine linen. Okay, so we have that going on. Jochum, the men of Chozebah, and Joash, and Surath, who had dominion over Moab, and Jaabielum, and these were of the ancient things, are the ancient things. And here, ancient things means ancient words, literally ancient words. They were the keepers of the history. They were, this all came from some book somewhere to give this information. Remember that we, as far as we understand, the writer of this book is possibly Ezra at the coming back from the, of the exile. He's trying to give people their history. So for the, for the Israelites he's writing to, they're looking at where's my name, where's my family, where do I fit into this picture of the history of Israel. And he took it all the way back to Abraham, the, the, the leading patriarch, and everybody else is going to try to find their place in this history. And it's important to them, especially for certain tribes. To be a leader, you had to be of the tribe of Judah. To be in the royal line, you had to be of the family of David of the tribe of Judah. To be in the priestly order, you had to be in the family of Aaron. So it becomes very important for these guys to know what family are we from. The Israelites are one of the leading groups in DNA research because they are trying to find markers for the various tribes of Israel so they can identify what tribe they're from and be able to give them you know, the direction on the land they're supposed to have, the positions that people are supposed to have. They're going to eventually build this, the third temple. They need to know that the 
Levites are in there doing their work and the children of Aaron are the priests doing their work. So all of this becomes very important to us. It's just a long list of names. But to the Israelites, these are very important because this represents their families and where they are within all of this. And there's other things we're going to look at as we go along. Uh, verse 23, these were the potters and those that dwelt among the plants and the hedges, and they dwelt with the king for his work. In other words, they were probably gardeners would be a better, better term for this whole list. The sons of Simeon. So now we're on another, another son. We just finished the, the sons of Judah. The sons of Simeon were Nemuel and Jamin and Jarib and Zerah and Shual and Salulam his son, Jibsim his son, and Mishma his son. And the sons of Mishma, Hamuel his son, Jakur his son, Shimei his son, and Shimei had 16 sons and six daughters. But his brethren did not have many children, neither did, they, did all their families multiply like unto the children of Judah. And they dwelt at Beersheba and Muladah and Hirzah Shula and at Bilhal and at Ezra and at Tolad and at Bethuel and at Hormoth and at Ziglag and at Bethmachabath and at Hazar Susim and at Beth Beel and at Shasharim and these were the cities unto the their cities unto the reign of David. So these are the list of cities that some of these cities you might have remembered hearing. Ziglag, they rescued the people of Ziglag rescued Saul from the from the Philistines after his death, uh, his body from from after the death, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So a couple of little things going on there, but. You know, this one guy, you know, 22 kids, a lot of kids. It uh, doesn't say. If it is one wife, I feel sorry for her. Uh, kid every year, probably. But, yeah. Uh, but we see here, he had a lot of children, and it says all the rest of his family did not have a lot of children, so they did not have a large number of the tribe of Simeon. So we have that going on there. And they, and they give these cities out there, and they said these were the cities all the way up till David's reign. One of the things we're going to note as we get into this, most of these things stop at about David's reign. So it looks like this writer is taking documents that are basically ancient documents, you know, as far as he's concerned. They go back way beyond the captivity, all through the five, six hundred years of kings between David and the other kings, and he stops on the genealogies of David most of the time. And then he starts covering just like one family down, traces them all the way down beyond that. Uh, of course, if he wrote every family, the entire book would be a genealogy. All right, 400 years of genealogy for every single family of every single person would be a really long book. And it would be a book that none of us would care about. It's hard enough for us to care about nine chapters of it. Okay. Uh, verse 32, And these are the villages of Etam and Ran and Rimen and Tochin and Ashan, five cities, and all their villages that were round about the same cities unto Baal. These are the inhabitants and their genealogies. And Mishobah and Jachlech and Joshath, the son of Am Amaziah, and Joel and Jehu, and the sons of 
Joshibiah and Sheshariah and the sons of Asiel and Eli, O-E-N-I, and Jachnabath and Jeshnohiah and Asiah and Adiel and Jeshimael and Beniah and Ziza and the son of Shimei, Shimafi, and the son of Elon, and the son of Jedidiah, the son of Shimri, the son of Shimariah. These mentioned by their names were the princes of their families and of the house of their fathers greatly increased. So here he specifically says he's only mentioning the important people in this list. All right. So he's, and again, I don't know a whole lot about any of these guys. I don't remember any of these guys coming out in any of the stories that I have. Uh, again, if you really wanted to do something that would be just a scholastic study, just start you know, going through the concordances and see where all these people are and what they are and who, who they're tied with. And it would probably be, I'm saying it would probably be an interesting study in the long run. It would be a tedious study. All right, because many of these people are mentioned a lot in there, but it would probably be an interesting study if you had the time. I, don't know, I did not have the time to do that kind of a study. All right, verse 39. And they went to the entrance of Gedor, even into the east side of the valley, to seek pastures for their flocks. And they found fat pasture and good in the land, and wild, wide and quiet and peaceable, for they had of Ham that dwelt there of old. And these ridden by name came in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and smote their tents and the inhabitants that were found there, and destroyed them utterly unto this day, and went and dwelt in their rooms, because there was pasture there for their flocks. And some of them, even the sons of Simeon, 500 men, went to Mount Seir, having for their captain Pelatoyeth and Nehariah and Rethaniah and Uziel, the sons of Ishi, and they smote the rest of the Amalekites that were escaped and dwelt there until this day. So here we have this group of family going in and finding green pastures with lots and lots of grass. And it's very interesting that it says they were peaceful for their, dwelt, for their ham dwelt of old. This is the ham of Noah's son, which means that it was one of the non-followers of, of God probably because Ham was not known for his following of God and his descendants were not known for it either. And then it says, these were ridden in the days of Hezekiah and smote their tents and the inhabitants that were found there. Now this is one of those places where I don't like it. We have a pronoun here and I don't know, did it refer to the family that smote them or did the people of the land smite them? We don't know. It's very hard to understand. I think it was the family that smote the inhabitants uh, at this time. Uh, but it's not real clear. And the only reason I think so is because the next verse says that 500 of them uh, went to Mount Seir. Now this could be that they were in retaliation for, being, for their family being killed or that they were just that strong and con continued. And then it goes, and they smote the rest of the Amalekites that were, that it were escaped and dwelt there until this day. Now, not sure if you remember this story, but in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul was told to kill the, all the Amorite, Amalekites. And he let the king survive, and then he lost his kingdom because of that. And we've had the Amalekites being a thorn in the side of the flesh of Israel ever since. So at some point, this family 
finally wiped out the Amalekites, according to this, this uh, scripture. So again, it's one of those little things we find only in the, in the genealogy where it just throws in a little, little tidbit, <laughs> a little, little tidbit of uh, knowledge in the middle of the parts that we skip over so often. All right? Uh, so this family finally kills out the Amorites, Amalekites, many, many centuries after they were supposed to have been killed. And there's all kinds of problems up to, you know, the, beyond this that causes them problems. The Amalekites have many, many children that attack Israel and cause them problems. All right, chapter 5, unless anybody has comments or... All right, anybody want to read the next section? <laughs> All right, now these are the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. All right, we're going to stop just for a moment on this. Judah had 12 sons. Reuben was the firstborn son of Leah, through Leah. Reuben, in Genesis chapter 35, slept with Billah, the third wife of Jacob, or Israel, his stepmother. All right, no, no blood relationship, but still his dad's wife. Genesis 35, Genesis 35 uh, 22. So Reuben slept with his stepmom, and Israel basically said, okay, I'm not going to kill you what you deserve, but I'm also not going to give you the birthright of the oldest son. And then he chose to give the birthright through Joseph, his favorite son, which was the firstborn of uh, uh, Rachel. <laughs> uh, so Reuben lost his birthright because of his defiling of his father's third wife. So this is what that is all about when they reference that uh, defiled, defiled his father's bed. All right, verse 2. For Judah prevailed upon his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. And the sons, I say, of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Garmi. And the sons of Joel was Shimei, his, his son, Gog, his son, Shimei, his son, Micah, his son, Re'iah, his son, and Baal, his son, and Be'erah, his son, and whom Tilgapilneser, king of Assyria, carried away captive. He was the prince of the Reubenites. All right. If you remember, uh, Tilgapilneser is the king of Assyria. Uh, we talked about him. He is the one that captures the cities of Judah, causes all kinds of problems in Israel, and he had such a beautiful altar in Damascus that Ahaz copied the altar in the, in the, in the northern kingdom for whatever, was whatever he saw, he saw some beauty in that altar. Um, I tried when we were teaching that in 2 second, in second Kings, I was trying to find out about that altar, and nobody really knows what that altar looked like. They had a few pictures of what it might have been, but nobody knew. So this is a very famous man. He's been mentioned several times in the scripture. He's the one that carry, carries, uh, gives Israel and Judah both problems. He's one of the first great kings of Assyria as it's building its power. So that, that is him mentioned in here. Is that 
This is not the same Gog. This is not the same Gog from from Shem's line that take go north. Just the same name. All right, because Shem has a son called Gog and Magog that go to the north. This is this is uh, Reuben's children that are in Israel. So not the same one, but good good thing to keep keep that in mind. All right, and his brethren by their families when the genealogy of their gen generations were reckoned were the chief Zerial and Zechariah and Pilah the son of Azaz, the son of Shema, the son of Joel, who dwelt in Aroer, even unto Nabal and Baal, Meon, and eastward he inhabited into the entering of the wilderness from the river Euphrates because their cattle had multiplied in the land of Gilead. And in the days of Saul, they made war with the Hagarites who fell by their hand, and they dwelt in their tents throughout all the east lands of Gilead. All right, so much of the Reuben clan is going to live on the east side of the Jordan. If you know anything about the promised land, that's the wrong side of Jordan. They're supposed to be on the west side of the Jordan. But there was good land for their animals, and if you remember when they came into the land, uh, two and a half tribes are going to stay on the east side of, of the Jordan and get their inheritance on that side. And this is where they say these people's land went all the way up to the Euphrates. And they did battle with the Hagarites and won it and had land in Gilead. Gilead is that northern part to the east of the uh, Galilee. That's the Gilead. And so you hear about Gilead quite frequently in the Bible. That's where that area is. It's on the wrong side of the Jordan. Okay. And the children of Gad, so here we are with another one of the children, dwelt up against them in the land of Bashan to Shakah, and Joel their, their, their chief, and Shephan the, the next, and Jehaniah and Zephat and, in Bashan. And their brethren in the house of their fathers were Michael and Meshulam and Sheba and Jorai and Jachim and Zaiah and Eber, seven these were the children of Abihiah, the son of Huri, the son of Jehorah, the son of Gilead, the son of Michael, the son of Jeshimiai, the son of Jado, the son of Buz, Ahai, the son of Abedel, the son of Guni, chief of the house of the fathers. They all dwelt in Gilead, in Bashan, and her towns, and all the suburbs of Sharon upon their borders. All these were reckoned by the genealogies in the days of Jotham, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, king of Israel. All right, so these people all live in Gilead and in uh, Bashan. Bashan was famous for the cattle that came out of that area because the grass was so full and everything, and they, they grew huge cattle. They were the prize. They were the you know, the blue ribbon cow cattle, if it, if it came out of Bashan, then it was probably one of the best. And, that, and you'll see that references, reference throughout the scriptures that this came from the land, the cattle was the best. It was from the land of Bashan. And that is, again, on the wrong side of Jordan, up there around Gilead, that area to the east of, of uh, Galilee. And the best cattle came from there. It was beautiful grass, beautiful places for the for the cattle to go, which is why the people wanted to stay there. They wanted to keep their cattle in all this wonderful land. 
So just trying to help us get some little bit out of these verses as we go along. And this you'll note that the, this genealogy was reckoned in the days of Jotham, king of Judah, and in Jeroboam, king of Israel. So this one goes a little past Solomon. The first one was said David. This one goes all the way a little further. So he's digging from a little deeper, little deeper history, a little closer to his time frame to give you this, this genealogy. All right. The sons of Reuben and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh were valiant men who were able to wear buckler and sword and shoot the bow and skillful in war. They were 44,760 men that went out to war, and they made war with the Hagiarts, which Jethur and Tishthish and Nudab, and they helped against them, and the Hagiarts were delivered into their hand, and all that were with them, and they cried to God in battle, and he was entreated of them because they had put their trust in him. So here we have the two and a half tribes actually seeking God in battle, which, again, rare, rare event, but they are seeking God, and the number shows us that this is really early, really early on in the, in the taking of the, the nation. There's only 44,000 of them to, to go to battle. Um, and they took of the cattle and the camels 50,000 and sheep 250,000 and donkeys 2,000 and men 100,000. And there fell down many slain because the war was of God and they dwelt in their stead until the captivity. Quite a bit of quite a bit of haul that these guys took. Uh, you know, they've got uh, 50,000 she uh, camels, and there's only there's only 44,000. Uh, let's say 45,000 of them. So that's quite a bit of camels for each one of them. All right, uh, they're getting a you know ca camel. They get 250,000 sheep. So about five sheep per person per per warrior. Uh, so this is they took a pretty good haul out of this. Uh, and they got to hold that area until the captivity, until they went into captivity uh, in Assyria, because they're in the northern, they're in the northern tribes. So we have that going on. All right. And the children of the half tribe of Manasseh dwelt in that land, and they increased in Bishan, unto Baal, Hermon, and Shinir, and into the Mount of Hermon. And these were the heads of the house of their fathers, were Ephir and Ishi and Eliel and Azriel and Jeremiah and Hodeviah and Jadiel, mighty men of valor, famous men and heads of their house. And they transgressed against God, of the God of their fathers, and went a whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, in the spirit of Tilgapilnezer, king of Assyria, and he carried them away, even the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Halal, and Hebar, and Harah, and to the river Gozan unto this day. And we read about that in Second Kings as well, uh, that this king Pu'ul brought them into captivity because of their disobedience to God. And it's really sad because we saw they started correct. They started seeking God and getting blessed and and getting victor victory in the battle, and then they turned away from God and followed after the gods of the nations. And one of the things God told the people, destroy all the altars, destroy all of the images and the idols so that they would not be tempted. And this is important for us. 
Do we destroy the idols that are in our life that are going to tempt us away from God? And that can be a number of things for any in number of people. Uh, for some people, it's drugs and alcohol. For some people, it is the whole spirit of lust. Some people, it's going to be work. You know, a lot of people, it becomes work. For many in America, it becomes television. All right? uh, and God is saying, if these things are in your life, get rid of them. Because sin will draw us down more often than us being victorious over it. The alcoholic that says, well, you know what, I'm going to keep this bottle in, in just in case I have a bad day. Well, you know what? They're going to have a bad day. You know, it's a guarantee they're going to have a bad day. I'm going to keep this joint just in case I have a really bad day and need to mellow, my, mellow out. You're going to have that bad day. Well, God, I've given up my pornography, but I'm going to keep all the passwords to all of my accounts that I have just in case. You know, and you know, we, you know, we laugh about that, but you know, people do this kind of stuff all the time. I'm going to keep this little bit of sin in my life just in case I need it. I'm going to keep this little beachhead for sin right there. I don't, I don't plan to give into it, but I'm giving Satan a place in my life to give me a challenge. That's what they did. They didn't wipe out all that God told them to do, and they fell to the, to the gods of that nation and ended up going into captivity because of that fall. And... When we fall to sin, we make ourselves captive to sin all over again. Now, and that's even worse because we're in a worse state than we were before. When we were, before we were saved, we were, we were captive to sin, but that's we were born captive to sin. Jesus comes and delivers us, and then we put ourselves back into the, into the prison. We go up to the front door and say, let me in. I want to be a captive again. Yeah, and then we wonder, and then we wonder how we got there. You know, we put ourselves at the door of the prison, asked to be brought in, figuring that maybe that we could walk right back out, and then we wonder how we got captivated by the sin again. And then, and then Jesus has to come back, get our heart, get us confessed, and, and rescue us all over again. And it's because we did it ourselves. We're, we didn't live in the victory of His life that He gave for us, and this is what they did. They didn't live in the victory that God gave them and destroy all the idols, all the problems that were out there. They just left them where they could get into them. All right. Chapter 6. This is going to be kind of an interesting one. I like this one. Uh, the sons of Levi, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, and Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amron, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam. The sons also of Ariam with Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And Eliezer begat Phinehas, and Phinehas begat Abishaiuah, and Abishaiuah begat Bukai, and Bukai begat Uzai, and Uzai begat Zeruiah, and Zeruiah begat Meriath, and Meriath begat Amariah, and Amariah begat Aitub. And Ahitub beget Zadok, and Zadok beget Ahimaaz, and Ahimaaz beget Azariah, and Azariah beget Nahana, and Nahana beget Azariah, and he it is that executed the priest office in the temple of the Solomon, that Solomon built at Jerusalem. And Azariah beget Amariah, and Amariah beget Ahitub, and Ahitub beget Zadok, and Zadok beget Shemhu, and Shemhu beget Hil. 
Hilgiah, and Hilgiah begat Azariah, and Azariah begat Seraiah, and Seraiah begat Jehazadek, and Jehazadek went into captivity when the Lord God carried Judah and Jerusalem by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. All right, here we have the children of Levi, the, the ones that are going to be the priests of Israel. All right, and it's very interesting here. This is one of the clear markers that we have on how long Israel was in Egypt. All right, and I'm going to give you some numbers here. That come, I didn't write down the verses they, that it all came from. But when Israel went into Egypt, he took his people into Egypt. There were 90 people in all in his family. At that time, Levi was born and his son Kohath had been born. All right? So Kohath has already been born when they go into Egypt. If you, you just go into Genesis 46 to see that. Now, Kohath is going to live to, to be 133 years old. Amram is the father of Moses. He lives to be 137 years. All right? Moses is going to be living to 120 years, and we know that the people leave Egypt when Moses is 80 years old. He spends 40 years in Pharaoh's household. He spends 40 years in the backside of the desert being taught, uh, learning, learning now to take care of the, uh, the sheep. And then he comes back and leads the people of Israel for 40 years. So his, his life is pretty easy. 120 years, 40, 40, 40. All right? Um, that means that the children of Israel at the very longest, that's assuming that Kohath had been born right before that they had left, would be 270 years, as long as they could be in Egypt by these ages. Now, we could add 40 years, figuring you know, uh, 80 years on that, so let's say 350 maximum. Now, Kohath was not new. He had children. So he was not a young, he was not newborn when they went into Egypt. Uh, might have been 20 or 30, 40. All right, so we're looking roughly 270 to 300 years that they're in Egypt. Now, people have trouble with this because they'll go, Paul said that they had been in Egypt for 430 years. But they forget one little key word when Paul says that, from the time of promise. All right? And what was the promise? The promise was Isaac. So you have to go back to Isaac to start that 430 years that Paul talks about. So it starts at Isaac and goes forward from that point to get the whole time in Egypt. And when you do that, the numbers work out pretty, pretty well that it was 430 years knowing that these men lived this long. Now, that's one of the lovely things I see in this verse. Because people have tried to figure out, well, how can, how can there be 430 years with, with four generations listed, period? Well, you look at all the numbers. You look at all the verses. You look at all of what the verses say completely and take the whole context of the verse. And so I just bring that out because I, I love bringing that out. I want everybody to understand that 430 years is from Isaac, which gives us another, you know, I can't remember when, how old Isaac was, but Isaac was fairly old when he had his kids. So we have another 30 years or 40 years added for Isaac to, to Jacob. And then to Jacob, when he comes in there, Jacob's going to live for 17 years in Egypt. So he spends most of his 127 years not in Egypt. And then his children are going to live out their time in there. 
So this also tells us how fast did it get that the, the pharaohs of, e, of e, um, Egypt forgot Joseph? Two generations. Not long at all. Uh, but there was also a big change in the pharaoh. And what in, in, in Egypt, what would happen is when they had a dynasty change, the people would go around all of the, all of the monuments that celebrated the previous king and chisel out their name. And we see, they, they see it all over Egypt. There's places where the name of somebody has been just chiseled out and they don't know which king, you know, which pharaoh was talking about and that's what they did. There was a, somewhere in the time that after Mo, uh, Joseph died, there was a change in the pharaoh dynasty. They chiseled out Joseph's name. They chiseled out the, the previous king's name and everything and so they would be forgotten. And it wasn't long before Joseph the one that saved the nation was forgotten. And then they put the children of Israel in, into slavery. Yeah, well, it's humanity. <laughs> All right. So in this, we also see Koath, Aram, Moses, Joseph, uh, uh, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. So those are the generations of Levi up to the Exodus. Then we go through, and the next set of verses give us the line of the high priest. All right? So we have Aaron, the first high priest. Eliezer, his son, uh, is, going, is going to be re, uh, a priest for a short time. Then Phineas, and then all these names I'm not going to reread again. And then they go all the way at the time of, of the temple of Solomon. We have Azariah being the high priest. Zadok, we've heard before during the books of Kings and Second Kings. Um, we have the name of Syriah. He is the first one of the high priests. And when, they, when, they, uh, when, Jude, when Nebuchadnezzar comes, he's in the first wave of people that are taken along with the king. And so he is one of those kings. And then the last high priest is going to be Jehoiadek. And he is taken away. And we don't have anything about him. I looked to see if there was anything naming him. And he was, I didn't find anything naming him in the Bible. So we have the list of the priest up to this point in time. And then when we get to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they will go back to this, back to these people, and then say who is taking over 70 years later when the children of Israel come out of captivity back in. During that 70 years, they keep track of the, the children of the high priest. They keep track of the king so that when they come back, the king is put in the king's descendant is made governor of the land, and it talks about the high priest and will give back to Shirai. So we have all of this going on, and these are very important people for them to understand. And they kept the genealogy of Aaron's sons very close. They kept the genealogy of David's sons very close and so that they would know who would be the next ruler, who, who would be. And this is something that even to this day in royal families, they track very closely who's next in line and, and follow down to about 150 you know, or so lines just in case there's a huge devastation of the royal family. You go back a long ways before you can run out a family of the name, and if they needed to, they'd be able to track it back even further. Uh, but these royal families know exactly where their place is in the royal line. I'm the crown prince. I'm the, I'm the second crown prince. You know, I'm the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all the way down the line to know where you are on the line and then they follow the other, other family members to, to create it. And this is what's going on through all of this 
this uh, discussions. All right, verse 16. And the sons of Levi, Gershom, Kohath, and Murai, and these are the names of the sons of Gershom, Libni, and Shimeel, and the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, and Hebron, and Uziel, and the sons of Muriah, Ma'ai, and Mushi, and these were the, fam the families of the Levites according to their families, of Gershom, Libna, uh, Libni, his son, and Johath, his son, and Zimmoth, his son, and Johah, his son, Edo, his son, Zerah, his son, Je'atarah, his son, and the sons of Kohath, Am Amadab, his son, Korah, his son, Ashiar, his son, Elkanah, his son, Ebiasaph, his son, Ashir, his son, Tahath, his son, Uriel, his son, Uzziah, his son, Shual, his son, the sons of Elikanah, Amasiah, and Ahamath, and Elikanah, the son of Elikanah, Zophiah, his son, and Nahath, his son, Eliab, his son, Jehoram, his son, Elkanah, his son, the sons of Samuel, the firstborn of Vashni, and Abinah, and the sons of Moriah were Mili, Libna, his son, Shimeel, his son, Uzzah, his son, Shimei, his son, Haggaiah, his son, Esaiah, his son, and these were they whom David set over the service of the song in the house of the Lord after the ark had rest. So we listed up to this point, and now we're going to look at the children of Levi that David put in charge of singing in the tabernacle. All right. Before this point in time, the tabernacle has traveled all over the place. All right. During the time of the traveling, the family of Gershom was responsible for all the coverings of the of the of it. They were the walls that covered the wood, the, the tabernacle, all the tent the family of Gershom carried around all through the wilderness. The family of Kohath were responsible for the ark and the menorah and the and the altars and all the stuff that was actually for worship, the Kohaths had to take care of. And then the children of Meheriah they handled all the heavy boards and wood and everything. And if you recall, each one was given wagons and, and stuff to do it. Well, Meherariah was given like five wagons because they had the heavy stuff. All right. Uh, the children of Koath were given no wagons because nothing that was in worship was to ever be put on a wagon. It was to be carried by the poles. So they received no wagons, no horses, no animals to carry it. Because everywhere they went, they had to carry it. You know, they, and I don't think that stuff was light. All right? And then uh, the sons of Gershom carried all the tents and the poles. So they had a few, a few uh, a wagon or two, but they basically carried the stuff. It was fairly, fairly light. It was just bulky. If you've ever had to carry a big tent or something around, you know, it's not something you really want to carry. It's real big. It's huge. It's bulky. Hard to handle. That's what they had to carry. All right? Let's see. And they that ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation was singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited for their office according to their order. So when they got the temple built, they now put everybody into uh, 12 service groups. And they, because they started getting too many of them, there was no carrying things around. So they were put into 12 groups and you 
you worked for two months, two months every, every, every six months. You would work for two months in, in Jerusalem. Now, that didn't mean that you were free the rest of the time. The rest of the time you went home and you, and you ministered at home. But for, basically, it worked out for four, month, uh, four weeks out of the year, you went to Jerusalem and worked. Uh, this is why when Zechariah, John, John the Baptist's father, was chosen to go into the temple, it was a big deal. He, he, only worked for, he was only working in Jerusalem for four weeks a year, and there were lots and lots of them to be chosen to go take care of it, and many of them never got to go in and light the candles and, and change the showbread and all of that. So it was quite an honor for him to do that because of the way it broke, broke down. All right, and these were they that waited on their children, and these guys, this, these clans got to sing. I sure hope they all had good voices, uh, because they sang 24-7 wow. in, the ta- in the tabernacle and in the, in the uh, temple. So they were singing going on all the time. Now, I'm sure it wasn't the same person all the time, but they had broken down, and they had their choirs, and they would sing probably four, four hours at a time on, and then the next group would come in, and the next group would come in, and then they would be back in, and they did this all the time. Every time you went to the temple, every time you went to the tabernacle during David's days, there was singing, praising God going on in the temple. I can't imagine what that would be like, you know, going in and having singing going on all the time. Live singing, too, not recorded singing. So... Uh, these were they that kept there and waited on the children of the sons of the Korahites, Heman, the singer, the son of Joiah, the son of Shumiel, and his son Elkanah, and the son of Jehonaham, the son of Eli, the son of Torah, uh, Toha, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah, and the son of Mahath, the son of Amasiah, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tohath, the son of Aser, the son of Elbegah, the sons of the son of Israel. So now we've taken back that group all the way back to back to the, the, the founding patriarch. And his brother, probably a name that's going to stand out if you've read any of the Psalms and you read those little Little parts, Asaph wrote a lot of the psalms. It'll say a psalm of Asaph. So he's a famous one of these singers. He is a song writer as well as a singer. So uh, his brother Asaph, who stood on his right hand, even Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and note the right hand, that's the side of approval. It's the number one side. It's the side you want to be on. The son of Michael, the son of Baashiel, the son of Malchiah, the son of Ethni, the son of Zerah, the son of Adoniah, the son of Etham, the son of Zimrah, the son of Shimei, the son of Jehath, the son of Gershom, the son of Levi. So now we're taking um, Asaph's line back to Levi. All right. And their brethren, the sons of Mirai, stood on the left hand. So now they're on an important side, but the side that is lesser important. Now we still have the term, this is my right hand man or right hand person. The person I cannot do without. And it literally is the side of approval. They have your high approval. Left hand, yeah, they're okay, but they're not the one that you depend on. All right? Uh, so these guys are on the left hand. Etham, the son of Gishi, the son of Abdi, the son of Muruluk, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Amaziah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Amzi, the son of 
Bani, the son of Shimur, Ashamur, excuse me, the son of Mali, the son of Mushi, the son of Marili, the son of Levi. So again, we'll go all the way back to Levi. Their brethren also the Levites were appointed unto all manner of service of the temple and the house of God. So here we have a small group of singers. They are assigned to be singing all the time. That's their job. Their family sings. Hopefully everybody in their family learns to sing. All right. Otherwise, they probably get to be the ones that carry the instruments and they get to be the, be the uh, what's the term, uh, uh, the groupies, the, ro- the roadies. You know, they're, car- they're carrying the instruments around. They're, they're getting the water for the singers. If they can't sing, they're, they're doing the other things. We have the children of Aaron that are going to be the priests. They're the ones that do the offerings. All the other Levites do everything else that's needed to be done in the temple. They will do things like uh, flay the, flay the uh, sacrifices and skin them. They will be doing the cleanup. They will probably be doing the cooking. And as far as things go, they're doing the menial tasks that, that uh, huh? The grunt work, but they're still important. They are in the temple doing the work. All right? So they have an important position, but that is something that people sometimes look at. Well, God, all I'm doing is a support work. Why am I so important? You know, that's not, in, why can't I do more? And that's going to be part of their attitude out through their time is why can't I do more? Why do they get to be the ones that do these things? And, but, you know, it's quite an honor. They get to work in the temple. You know, they get to be the ones that are going to be teachers of Israel. They're going to be out and about teaching others about God and about his love. But Aaron and his sons offered upon the altar of the burnt offerings and on the altar of the incense and appointed for all work of the place most holy and make an appointment for Israel according to all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. So he's saying here, they're the ones that do the sacrifice. They're the ones that are going to go into the holy place. All right. And these are the sons of Aaron. Eliezer, Phineas, his son, Ab- Abishua, his son, Bukai, his son, Uzai, his son, Zeruiah, his son, Miriah, his son, Amariah, his son, Ahitub, his son, Zadok, his son, Amahiah, his son. So we're going the other direction on this one. Before that, we always went back to, to Levi. This time we're going forward. <laughs> kind of interesting. You've got to keep track of these names sometimes because they're kind of interesting. They go backwards and forwards in time. Huh? It keeps, it keeps us on our toes. Verse 54, now these are they that dwell, and these are their dwelling places throughout their castles in the coast. And then the sons of Aaron are the family of the Kohathites, and theirs was by lot. They were given Hebron in the land of Judah and the suburbs thereof, the fields of the city thereof. And they gave to Caleb, the son of Jumphineth, the sons of Aaron, they gave the cities of Judah, namely Hebron, the city of refuge, and Libna and their suburbs, and Jatir and Estemoah and their suburbs, suburbs, and Helen and her suburbs, Debur and her substance, Ashan and her suburbs, and Beth Shemesh with her suburbs, out of the tribe of Benjamin, Geba and her suburbs, Alameth and her suburbs, Alathoth with her suburbs, all their cities throughout their families were 13 cities that were given to, to them. Now, we mentioned here the city of refuge. Do you all remember what the city of refuge are? Uh, kind of, not just bad. If somebody accidentally killed somebody, 
they were to run to a city of refuge where they would be able to have a trial. If they got caught by the, by the family of the person that had been killed before they got to the city of refuge, they could be killed. Once they got to the city of refuge, there would be a trial saying, did you have any malice against this person? Did you have, you know, did you have a reason to kill this person or was it truly an accident? If it was found out that it was an accident, you stayed in the city of refuge until the high priest died. At the death of the high priest, then you could go back home and, and not be subject to being killed by the families, by the family. So your time in the city of refuge might just be a year or two, or if you were unfortunate enough that the new high priest started and he was, and he was young, you might die before he died. All right. So you might be there for the entire, you know, 30, 40 years that he's high priest. So, uh, but you were safe as long as you made it to the city of refuge. You were safe, and there, I think there were 12 cities of refuge all throughout Israel. All right. Let's see. And under the sons of Kohath, they were left of the families of the tribe, the cities of the half tribe, namely of the half tribe of Manasseh, and lot of these, the sons of Gershom, throughout their families, one out of the tribe of Issachar, and out of the tribe of Asher, and out of the tribe of Naphtali, and out of the tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. So these are the, north, the ones that are on the wrong side of the Jordan for the most part. Unto them, the sons of Moriah were given by lot throughout their families, out of the tribe of Reuben, out of the tribe of Gad, out of the tribe of Zebulon, 12 cities. And the children of Israel gave the Levites these cities and their suburbs. Gave by lot the city unto the tribe of the children of Judah, out of the tribe of Simeon, and out of the tribe of the children of Benjamin. These cities, and they, these are their, called by their names, the residual of the family of the sons of Gohath had their cities in the coast out of the tribe of Ephraim. And they gave unto them the cities of refuge, Shechem the, in the Mount of Ephraim in her suburbs. And they gave unto Gezer in her suburbs and Jokmaam and her suburbs and Beth Horon in her suburbs and Jaalam in her suburbs and Kathrimon and her suburbs and out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Abner in her suburbs and Bill in Nam and her suburbs and of the family of the remnant of the sons of Kohath. Now note that it says the remnant of the sons of Kohath. Remember the Kohath, the son of Kohath rebelled against Moses and him and his family and the people that stood by him were swallowed. The earth opened up and swallowed him. So they lost a lot of his family in the, in the process of being judged for his rebellion against Moses. All right. Under the sons of Gershom were given of the family of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Golan, Golan in Bashan and her suburbs, and Ashtaroth in her suburbs, and out of the tribe of Issachar, Kadesh in her suburb, Dabiroth in her suburb, Ramoth in her suburbs, and Inan in her suburbs, and out of the tribe of Asher, Mashal in her suburbs, and Abnon in her suburbs, and Hukath in her suburbs, and Rahab in her suburbs, and out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee in her suburbs, and Hanan in her suburbs, Girjarim in her suburbs, and unto the rest of the children of Mira were given out of the tribe of Zebulon, Rimmon in her suburb, Tabar in her suburb, and on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho, on the east side of Jordan, were given out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer and her in the wilderness with her suburbs, and Jazra with her suburb, Kidamoth with her suburbs, and Methuzah in her suburbs, and out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth in Gilead, and in her suburbs of Jaharinim and her suburbs, and Hesbon and her suburbs, and Jaez and her suburbs. Three chapters. <laughs> All right. 
hopefully some of these have been have lifted enough things out of it to give you some interest in, in, in this and make it some interest in not just reading a whole bunch of names. But we do want to keep in mind that these are all here for a reason. They're, they're important to the families to know where their families come from. And, you know, if you've ever done research in your own family, you take some pride sometimes in having found how far back your family goes, and this is what this is all about. And I know these names are hard for us. They're strange to us. Our names would be strange to them, all right? Uh, we, think, we think they're normal names, but they would think that they're, well, you guys have such weird names, you know. You, know, you have the name Ralph. What, have, what, what is that supposed to mean? You know, it's, you know uh, so they're having all these, problem, all these things going on. Lord, we thank you for all of this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to guide and lead us as we go about our business and show us what you would want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful day.